Welcome to the M&A Source Podcast, a podcast brought to you by M&A Source, a nonprofit professional organization that provides training and education for small to mid-sized business mergers and acquisitions intermediaries. In each episode of the podcast, we will interview leaders in the M&A world to discuss education opportunities provided by M&A Source, trends in M&A markets, and useful insights provided by the experts that use them. Thank you for joining us. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the M&A Source podcast, sponsored by M&A Source, the source of opportunity and professional growth for mergers and acquisitions professionals in the lower middle market. I'm your host, Lamar Stanley, and I am a director at GenCap America, a lower middle market private equity firm based here in Nashville, Tennessee. And joining me today over Zoom is Sarah Burden, the president and owner of Walden Businesses, an investment bank and business intermediary M&A firm based in Atlanta, Georgia. If you haven't met Sarah before, she has a long history in the business. Uh, she has over three decades of experience in our industry. And while she specializes in owner representation, she has also handled unique buyer representations in the national marketplace as well. She also has managed transactions in many industries from service companies to heavy manufacturing companies to distribution and logistics business. She's also heavily involved with the firm's valuation services as well and has been engaged as an expert witness by several of Atlanta's accounting and legal firms. But prior to joining Walden, Sarah was a successful entrepreneur. And in 1981, she created a permanent staffing service that specialized in placing high-end administrative support personnel. And then in 1984, her acquisition of a temporary services provider expanded her firm um, to one of the largest in the Atlanta area at the time. And the temporary division was divested in 1988, and then later the permanent division in 1991. So she has been a founder, and then she has also exited on the other side of the table before taking over at Walden. And then I also would like to mention that Sarah holds her CBI certification through IBBA and is one of fewer than 100 individuals worldwide to have earned the M&A, MI, Mergers and Acquisitions Master Intermediary Certification through M&A Source. And then in December of 2011, she was honored as a fellow of IBBA, Uh, also um, awarded in 2014, a fellow of M&A Source. The list goes on and on, but she's been going back to the early 2000s, recognized by M&A Source over and over and over for her service and expertise. So both in the industry, but also in M&A Source, she has a lot of experience and a lot of history. And it's for this reason that she's teaching course 369, titled The Subtle Art of Educating a Seller a course that will allow an intermediary to develop trust-based relationships with their clients while educating them on the intricacies of the M&A process. So with that, welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Lamar. That was a great introduction. You made me sound better than I am. Uh, That's not true, but but it was a long list and I even called it back significantly. So appreciate you jumping on in light of all that uh, because I know you're busy this time of year. But um, as you know, we like to record these podcasts, preheat courses and conversations preceding the in-person conferences. And, but also I think it's always useful and frankly just interesting for our membership and others out there who are listening to meet our members and their instructors at the conference. So would you mind telling us a little bit about your background that I haven't covered? Well, you did cover the bulk of it with the staffing industry. I was in that industry for 18 years before getting into this. And Chet Walden, who many of you remember, um, very involved in IBBA and MA Source in his, in his uh, 
years being in the industry and Chet got me into this. Um, when we closed the staffing company, he said, what do you want to do? And I said, anything but staffing, 18 years <laughs> is long enough. Because uh, I'd worked for someone else for eight years before starting my own company. And so the, the principals at the time said, well, you've been accustomed to interviewing people the last 18 years. That's all you're doing when you're meeting sellers and you're meeting presidents of companies. So come on, we'll teach you how to do this. And, you know, it's like a bumblebee. I didn't know that I couldn't fly. So I just went off and did it. Um, but that's how I got started in the business. Chad and a couple of his partners at the time brought me into it and, and taught me how to read a balance sheet. I certainly didn't know how to do that when I had my own company. I relied on my bookkeeper and my CPA like a lot of our clients do. Right. But um, they taught me what I needed to know. And between, between them and becoming a member of IBBA and MA Source, I've, I've continued to learn every year I've been in it. That's great. And was there anything in those early days that really, you know, drew you into the business or, or just really made it click? You say, yeah, this is, this, is, this is not staffing, but it's also something that I actually really want to do and continue doing it for decades. Well, in a sense, the, what I learned from the staffing industry, because I was always dealing with, with different kinds of companies, I may have been placing an administrative assistant to a president, but but I was doing that with different kinds of companies. And I found that to be one of the most interesting things about doing brokerage is that you're, you're meeting all kinds of companies. And even though they may all be manufacturing or they may, may all be distribution, every one of them is different. And as you know, from, from your years in the industry too, Lamar, um, every financial statement is different. Every model is slightly different. So you're always learning. And that was the part that was intriguing to me because I wanted to continue to learn. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Totally agree. It, you show us a thousand businesses and we'll show you a thousand businesses. As well. <laughs> Correct. Um, well, in, in light of your experience, what, what do you think is something that makes someone successful in the business? Um, I truly believe that it's tenacity and the lack of fear of picking up the phone and making those calls that are necessary to put you in front of people. Um, the, obviously, a good salesperson is going to do better. And if you can teach them the financial piece, can, can teach them the rest of it, then, then you're, you're okay with that. But I've found that the most successful people are those who have sales and marketing backgrounds and, and they are tenacious they won't give up. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that applies to our side of the table as well. So, um, all right. So uh, we've, we've dove into your background a little bit, but can you back up a little bit and tell us a little bit more about Walden? Sure. Um, you know, our history, we go back into actually 1990. I joined the firm in 91. Um, Chet Walden was our founder. And you may or may not remember, he also has served as a director of MA Source um, during, during his time here. But the company itself, we started out doing a combination of Main Street and anything and everything we could possibly do as we were cutting our teeth. And over time evolved to, to specializing in light manufacturing distribution and B2B service. Um, we are currently six, seven brokers uh, with an administrator, 
and the people who are with us have come from all kinds of backgrounds, but predominantly all having owned their own companies at one time before. And I do believe that helps because you know what it's like to meet a payroll or to, to uh, scrounge up the money to pay for taxes and so forth when you're in the trenches and the sellers understand and appreciate that. So um, that, was, that was a little bit about our beginning days. And as we have evolved, the deal size has gotten larger and larger and we are continuing to work on that piece. Um, as, as you can imagine, the smaller the deal, the process gets really arduous because you're continuing to have to educate the seller at a very low level mm -hmm. and the buyers the same way and it's very time consuming. So we've just learned that we enjoy, we enjoy working on the deals that are a little larger in size where the sellers and the buyers are a little more sophisticated or a great deal more sophisticated. But we've moved a couple of times. We're currently in Sandy Springs, located in the northern end of Atlanta, and we're all enjoying what we're doing. That's great. And we, we really, I mean, as you know, we have a number of relationships in your office, and I'd like to echo that it's really nice to work with you all just based on the experience and the operating experience of so many of you, just because you do understand the, the intricacies of owning and running businesses. Um, it, it makes processes yeah. a little bit easier. Yeah, thank you. Um, all right. So shifting a little bit towards the course, um, not quite there, I guess, but can you tell us a little bit about a hard deal that you've done in the past and what made it that way or conversely, an easy one, just some of the details that, that made them such? I'd, I'd rather tell you about the easy one because it just closed. <laughs> I get the it. The hard ones could go on for many, many, many months and be very painful and you know, would require a lot of bottles of Tylenol before sure. we get done with them. But a more recent one, which we closed um, on the 1st of September, we were contacted by a manufacturer of miscellaneous steel products. And miscellaneous steel products are, um, it's, it's heavy steel, but it's stairwells and balconies and railings and things that are used in commercial spaces could be the balconies along the mezzanines of distribution of uh, distribution centers or mm -hmm. the stairwells and apartment complexes and so forth and high rises. And this particular owner um, had reached out to me. He had been referred to me by actually by another broker, a business broker owner, and asked for some help in selling this company. His wife had been through a bout with cancer and was in remission and he was realizing that he he really wanted to spend some time with her while he could. And we looked at his looked at his situation back in late November. Um, he was doing roughly 10 and a half, 11 million in revenues, but a nice bottom line. And we looked at that and based on previous experience, I recommended that he have the current year as well as the last year, like 2019 and 20, have those statements audited because then going to market, having a GEMCAP look at those statements gives a little more credibility right. to, the, to the construction of the uh, financials. And he listened to me and he went out and he paid the money and he had that done. And I figured it would be April or May before we heard from him, but he put the pressure on his CPA firm and by mid-February, we were ready to go. We um, executed the letter of engagement mid to late 
February and started working on the marketing documents and so forth. We went to market on like March 9th or 10th. Um, immediately, we had good response in our, in our advertising and in our announcements that we were putting out about the new company coming into the portfolio. And a strategic buyer um, owned by a private equity company out of Dallas, and they had a portfolio company down in Delray Beach, Florida, uh, reached out to us. They were doing the same thing, but on the aluminum side versus steel. And we went through the NDA process. Within about a week and a half's time, we had a letter of intent on the table for a full price offer. Um, it got sweetened toward the end and actually was bumped up above full price. And then we started through due diligence. They did want a quality of earnings, which they, which they uh, forgotten the firm. You would know them, but forgot the firm that uh, did that for them. But they had the quality of earnings done and we went through due diligence. The, the company in Delray and our client here in Atlanta started doing a little bit of work together, referring business back and forth because my guy here couldn't do aluminum, the one in Florida couldn't do steel. So they were working off each other and already doing, doing work together long before we closed. Now I'll tell you, that made me a little nervous because skeletons come out of closets when those kind of things happen. But right. in, in this particular case, it worked out well. And we, the only thing that slowed us down were attorneys. <laughs> and we got it, got it closed by September 1st. And I could not have asked for more cooperative buyers, the private equity firm and my client. I mean, they were just, they were dream buyers and sellers. And that's the, that's an easy one. <laughs> well, that's and collected, a, and collected a nice fee for it too. Yeah. Yeah. That never hurts either. No, but, never. But that, that's a great story to lead into discussing your course, which was again, entitled the subtle art of educating a seller. It sounds like that seller didn't need as much uh, education, but can you tell us a little bit about the development of the course and kind of what do you see the goals of the course being when you're when you're teaching these at our conferences? When when Chad and I initially developed the course, it was back, oh gosh, maybe 2010. And and I know at that time we were looking to bring in um, more educational courses to the membership and it was thought that a, a soft skills course might be something that could be added to the mix of the hard cash flow and and auction processes and the and the things that you really needed to sit there with a calculator and pen and pencil and work on. And so when we when we brought this to MA source, it was with the idea of keeping first and forefront in the minds of, of brokers and that what we're saying in this course could be applicable to anybody, but or any kind of a salesperson or any anybody who was looking to develop relationships. What we wanted to do was to focus on how critical from the beginning it is to develop a trust-based relationship with whomever you're dealing. And let's say in this case, it's the seller and, and get, that, get that footing going in the right direction from the very start. And um, the course, we, Chet and I taught it separately together several different times. 
Um, it was dormant for probably five, six, seven years. He passed away in, in 2014. And actually, I was scheduled to teach the course that, that um, fall and had had, a, I'm sorry, that spring, and had had a, um, an extensive surgery done. And Chef had to go teach it for me. And he passed away right after then. And so it set dormant until John Howe recently said, revive it, let's get it freshened up and let's take it back. Because the message, the message again is about how important it is to, to have trust-based relationships. And if you think about it, that's become a little more difficult over the last year and a half because we've had Zoom meetings to meet people, we've had telephone calls, texting, and that is not the same as standing in front of, sitting in front of someone face-to-face -face and meeting them for the first time. You may be able to do those things after, but it, that first impression and, and getting the warm fuzzies going soon is really important. Right. I, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because uh, I was going through your course and it's uh, the, the materials. And I noticed in the course, you spend a lot of time talking about the relationship with the client, even preceding your getting hired. And oh, sure. Yeah. They're not going to hire you if they don't trust you. That's that's interesting point. And, and I do feel like that that is very important. The, the truck, you know, the seller from our perspective needs to certainly trust their intermediary because it helps expedite the deal. You know, it's, right. it right. sounds like, you know, we would not want, I mean, you would think that we would want to compete for that trust, but frankly, that's as critical to the deal closing as it is their, their confidence well, in us. Part of that Lamar would be, and, and I'm speaking to this from the, the, the seat that you're sitting in mm -hmm. is, as an intermediary, if I'm bringing a deal to you and I've got a good relationship with that client and I present a new buyer, a gen cap to them, um, they're going to trust what I'm saying about you because they already trust me. Right. And that makes that just makes everything flow so much better. So you come in with a degree of credibility, even though they've never met you before. Yeah, no, that that really helps. And we've, we've seen both sides of, of that and uh, where they do trust and don't trust the intermediate. Yeah. It just yeah. comes very clear very quickly. It, it, but another point, even preceding that gaining that trust, uh, you bring up an interesting point in the materials where you talk about interviewing the client. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it, I guess that word comes from my old staffing days, but, but really what I'm saying when I say interview the client is we want information. We want the, we want to know about that client first. We want to know what motivates them to get up in the morning. Number one, we want to know what's going on in their life that's causing them to want to have that first meeting with us. What's happened? Usually it's something that's event driven. And, and if it's not, then they may be on a fishing expedition. So it's up to us, the intermediary, to flesh that out so that we don't waste their time, our time, or you, the potential buyer's time. So in going through that interview process, I, I like for us to be asking the questions first, instead of me sitting there and telling them about Walden and we're the best thing since sliced bread. I want to hear about them and what makes their company great. 
and how did they get it that way? And what did they do before they ever started this business or before they ever bought it? I want them talking about themselves and their company. And, and by asking the questions and keeping that momentum going, I've, I have found that I could be at the end of an hour meeting with a potential seller and I've not said a word about Walden and they're ready to sign up. But it's because I've engaged them and right. they feel that they feel that I'm really interested in them because I and it's true because I'm asking those questions. Right. That, that's a great point. And, and I learn and right. I learn about the business and about them. And it, it, it serves as um, a source for me. If they're going to be red flags, I'm paying attention to it while they're talking. Sure. Yeah. Well, so it's it's obviously not as simple as just signing an agreement and putting a sign in the front yard. You, you talk no. about the, the other roles that you're playing. Can you talk a little bit about that? And, and specifically, what are some of the roles that you're playing as an intermediary that the seller might not be thinking about? I, I think, um, number one, they don't think about all the steps that are necessary to get them to market. Mm -hmm. And then if they've never been through uh, a buy-sell process before, they have no clue about how to vet a buyer and make sure that when they're releasing information to a potential buyer, that that buyer has been vetting, vetted and is qualified to buy their business. So one of, the, one of the pieces of material that we use in the course or I leave behind for the class is that it's that sales process from the point of getting the letter of engagement all the way to the closing table and what those steps are. And, and that's presented at a 40,000 foot level because as you know, it could take 600, 700 hours to get a deal done these days. Right. And, and so it's not just a little bullet point that gets covered just by flicking to the next bullet point. There's, there's a lot of behind the scenes with each of those steps. And in going through that process with the client, we, we explain to them what we'll be doing to help them. And, and that's preparing the SIM and having them buy into the information that's included in the SIM because we have them sign off on that. Any advertising we do, we have them sign off on that so that they know exactly what we're saying about them. Right. Um, our announcements that we send out to our database, we have them sign off on that so that we, we want them to say, no, this is good. Anybody could read this and not point a finger at us. Um, because obviously they've got to be sanitized. You can't say it's ABC company for sale. And so beyond that, the, the paperwork is out there, the, the marketing is out there, and we start vetting the buyers we then go to strategics that we believe could be good buyers for them. They don't know how to do that. You know, if they pick up the phone and call, certainly they shouldn't call a competitor, but if they call somebody that's in the industry, they've exposed themselves. Right. And so we, we take them through understanding why it's important that they have us in the middle, whether it's us or, or any other intermediary, but they have someone in the middle who can vet the buyers, who can be the middleman, who can be the bad guy when you don't like the offer they've made or you don't like the way they part their hair, then we can be the ones to go back to them and say, this isn't going to work. And we can do it in a professional way so that if they meet each other on the street a week later, 
you know, they, they're civil to one another. Right. But, right. but it's those kinds of things that we take them through. You can't do that in an hour session. You have to build on it. Um, I, you, you know the expression, getting information through a fire hose. And I think if you give it all to them at one time, you're just going to have to repeat it down the road, not to mention sure. muddy their minds with too much, too much information in the beginning. So we build on it. No, and I'm glad you mentioned that, that, you know, it is a, a long process. And earlier you mentioned that tech, you know, it's hours and hours spent on a lot of these deals over months of months. And so in light of that, do you talk about in the course retainers or, or fees? Because I mean, you're putting in a lot of effort over a long period of time. Before really, this, Lamar, this course was originally designed to show you how to develop the relationship in order to have that trust-based relationship, in order to get a retainer, in order to get a development fee. Remember when this was designed, very many of us were not charging development fees on the front end. And, and so it was, it, although there are some people, you know, I know that there's still people out there who don't charge them and we interchangeably use retainers and development fees but what we're the, or the terms, some states won't allow you to do retainers on a front end like that. And, and so you can call them a development fee or a marketing fee, but it's basically that amount up front that helps offset the expense of getting them to market. And it, it gives the broker a little something in their pocket. And it also causes buy-in from the seller. We at least know that they've got some skin in the game by contributing to that. And, and that's why we think it's important. And we have gotten through the years, we've gotten, Walden has gotten hard-nosed and up about it that we won't take a client on without a retainer or without a development fee. Because it's, we, we so strongly believe that they've got to be as committed to us as we are to them. That makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and we get that commitment level because, you know, without it, um, it's not, there's no chance of a transaction occurring. Right, right. What, uh, so, but I do appreciate, you know, owners are, you know, the, the owners of successful businesses are not successful because they're, you know, they succumb to every fee offered to them. So what are some of the obstacles and, and how do you guys deal with them typically when you're bringing up the fee? or retainer development fees? Um, well, in fact, this is one of, the, one of the sections of the class that we'll be talking about is what do they hear in the field when they, when they talk about there is a development fee required in order to be engaged. And we talk about that and it can be everything from why should I pay fees? Or I, I have a friend who used a broker and they didn't pay a fee or I wouldn't have to pay my real estate broker a fee. Well, we are not in that group. We put ourselves in the same classification as their CPA firm, as their law firm, and those firms all charge engagement fees or develop, you can call them whatever you want to. It's an upfront fee that shows you are committed. Now, granted, the lawyers and the accountants may charge those fees in the event they get 10 hours into it and the, the client disappears off the face of the earth. They've at least got their hours covered, but we do it. We do it for a different reason, and that's so that, that there is a commitment on that seller's part to follow through with the process. Right. But there are, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of obstacles that we will hear 
But if we've done our job explaining, before we ever talk about that development fee, if we've done our job explaining what we're going to do for them as part of the sales process and getting them out to market and getting them sold, we don't get much pushback at that point. And that makes a lot of sense. And I guess that points back to our, your earlier comments about, you know, start early, building that trust. You don't, you don't open with the fee. Um, exactly. In fact, I don't even, I don't even tell them the fee unless they ask me. Right. Not, I mean, not up front. I don't, I get into it when they will get to the end of a session and they've, they've not heard anything about our company, about Walden. And I'll ask the question Now we've been talking about ABC company. Would you like to know a little bit about Walden? Oh yeah, I guess I ought to know that. And then you do your two minute, three minute spill. And, and you, again, you don't have to sell at this point because you've been selling the whole time by being interested in them. And we go through, or I go through, everybody here does, goes through, we have, we operate off a modified Lehman scale. That's this, this, and this. We have, we're on a contingency so that you don't owe us anything until the end of the, or at the, at the closing table. We do have a development fee on the front end that helps us offset our marketing expenses to get you out to market. And said that way, they don't argue with it because they know it's going to cost something. Sure. Well, on the development fee, um, you mentioned, you know, putting together things for marketing purposes. Do you go through the materials during the course? We, yes, we do. In fact, I'll bring all of the Walden materials as a sample for people to take a look at. Mm -hmm. And I will also, about two weeks before the class, um, John Howe has promised that he will get me a list of the attendees and I'm going to reach out to them individually and ask that they, if they would be willing to share uh, their marketing materials, what they do to take in their leave behinds when they go into a, a client meeting so that the, the group, the class can see what others around the country are doing. Um, the, the one, and I know you're gonna ask this toward the end, but the one beautiful thing that I have learned about M&A Source and about the interactions that we have with other brokers when we come together twice a year, people, people don't hold information to themselves. They freely share with right. one and granted, I may not do it if there's a brokerage firm down the hall for me. I may not share everything with them. But I also know that it doesn't matter if I did share everything. It's how they use the material that counts. So right. I, am, I am always very willing to share whatever we use, whatever works for us with anybody in the country. That, that is a great point, and I, and I don't feel like we've mentioned that enough on these podcasts, but it is truly a unique environment. It in, is. Uh, how open everyone is to sharing. It's a very collegial environment, and in spite of the fact that we're all basically in the same business. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so on the softer side, you know, you, you, you know, there's fees and there's materials, but I, I don't want to overlook the fact that this is called the subtle art is the name of the course. And you talk about accountability and holding people accountable for what they need to do. Can you, can you talk about what are some of the things you're holding people accountable for and, and both on the seller and the intermediary side? Yes. And, and this, again, this starts from the very beginning too. 
if if we tell a potential client that we're going to do something that we're going to get back with them by a certain time a certain date or with certain information we make sure we do that because the only way for them to learn to trust us is for us to deliver what we've promised and i've always believed you you under promise and over deliver you, you win a whole lot more friends that way right. but in, in the part that we're talking about toward the end of this course, the accountability piece, it gets into um, not just when you take when you make the commitment to bring on a new client and they engage with you, you are in essence making a promise to them that you're going to get that business sold. Even though that letter of engagement doesn't say we will sell your business internally, you are making a commitment that I'm not going to bring you on if I can't sell you. And so you're making a commitment that you're going to sell them. That, that gets emanated in everything you do from that point forward. If that seller is believing in you that you're doing everything in your power to help them get the best price, find the best buyer possible for their business. As we move through the due diligence process, or let's say at the LOI stage, we take that accountability a step farther, and I'm sure a number of you do this as well. And, and that's, we put together a contact list. The, the day an LOI is signed, there's a contact list in place of all the seller's key players, all the buyer's key players, the intermediary's key players, and, and that would include their lawyer contacts, accounting contacts. If you've got outside firms that are doing valuations or equipment appraisals or QVs, then we want those people listed too. And everybody gets a copy of that who's on that list. We set up weekly meetings at the same time every week, and we don't do them Zoom. Oftentimes they're, they're just conference calls, and sometimes those calls last for an hour and a half, and sometimes they last for seven or eight minutes. But, but it's the intermediary's responsibility in those calls to keep up with what promises are being made back and forth. The buyer promised to deliver this by next Tuesday. The seller promises to deliver the financial statements by next Friday. We make notes of that. And, and through, the, through the next week, if we haven't heard anything from anybody on something they promised, the intermediary jogs, the, jogs as a reminder the buyer or the seller or the attorney or the accountant about what they promised and when they were going to promise it to be delivered. In that call the following week, the first thing we do is go down the list of those things that were promised and have each person own up to where they are in the process. Was it delivered? Did they forget to copy everybody? There, that's the piece of accountability that will keep a deal moving. Right. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I do feel like, you know, that's that's advice that applies to every industry or any part yeah. of this business. But but it's particularly useful and maybe useful is not the right word, particularly critical in this part of the business where there is so much uncertainty. There's going to be so many things during a deal process that you can't control. So make sure that you are holding to the things that you you can control. So I get it. Um are the, who is the course for, or do you have any specific audience in mind? Or, or? The, course, the course is for everyone from the beginning broker, um, the, it, it, because what we teach can be, can be used at the main street level, at the lower market level. It can be used at any level, and it can be used in any sales 
kind of setting because it's about developing the relationships and how to move forward through the process. In, in this particular case, um, what again, because it's a soft skills class, anything that is being taught could be applied to any level business. Right. Well, and you mentioned that you've taught this course in the past. Is there a most common piece of positive feedback that you've received or anything that people have particularly liked about it? You know, there are several things. And we, as an instructor, we don't get individual comments back. We'll get a survey or a rating sheet that, that rates us against other instructors who were teaching uh, at that same conference. And but what I what I hear and the and the individual comments that I have from students who sat through classes, they these classes is they are surprised that we're willing to share our, our proprietary materials. Um, they are surprised at the openness with the sharing in the classroom. And again, that's that's created from the beginning because we want people sharing with one another. Right. Um, there's not really anything that we are teaching them that they didn't already know. We're just reminding them yep. and bringing it back to light because most of this is what we learned in sales 101. Not, <laughs> right. the, not the old Bill Carnegie style where you shove something down somebody's throat, <laughs> sure. but, but the basics. And they get, they get reminded of, of what they forgot. That's right. And, and I feel like that's a, that's a common theme across these conferences is, there's a lot of things that we've heard before, but it's really useful every six months to step back and talk about it, with friends, and, and hear, you know, some of the same messages just so they do get reminded. Because I know I speak personally that I get my head down in deals or, or things that we're working on here and you lose sight of some of the you know basic building blocks that can help you over the long run. You're, you're right. And, and again, um, the things I hear are different from, from everybody. They, there'll be one nugget from a particular chapter that hit them the right way. Uh, and something else that was said by a fellow classmate that, that, you know, stood out in their minds. And I, I love hearing that. I don't, I don't look for a blanket applause. I look for what they're, each one of them are looking to be able to take home with them. Sure. All right. Well, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole any farther. I do want to say uh, just because I, I don't want to be a spoiler. I want I, I, I do love the course and I don't want uh, to uh, to get to too many punchlines. So with that, I do want to switch to just a couple more things about you personally. Uh, I've heard from folks that like to hear the next few questions I'm going to ask you. What is a book that you've recently read or one that you've given to others frequently or just one that you find yourself going back to regularly? Um, and it can be M&A related or not. Um, it's interesting that you asked that question. I've, I've lived it a long time, Lamar. <laughs> um, there, there have been many cycles in my life um, as I go through learning different things about myself and about the world. I will target certain learning experiences. And I, I go through modes of being educationally oriented about my business, being educationally oriented about myself, about the body or about spirituality or whatever happens to be coming on my plate at that time. And when you ask that question, and I'm a voracious reader, I'll, I'll knock down a book a week. Um, the one little book that kept coming back to me 
was Jonathan Livingston Seagull by Richard Bach. And that, that book is probably 30 or 40 years old. And it's a little short book, but very motivational from the standpoint of, of the seagull who got ostracized from his group, from his flock, because he wanted to fly higher. He wanted to fly faster. He wanted to do something different than the rest of the flock. And, and to me, that was the message step outside of yourself, be all that you can be. And, and I, I had given that little book to a lot of beginning business people, to college students who are graduating, you know, step outside of yourself and be all that you can be. Great recommendation. I have not read it, um, but I will definitely be doing so. So it's, I appreciate it's it. It's a quick read and it's, you'll either read it as a great book about a bird or wow, <laughs> what can I do to change my life to, to fly like he did? I get it. That's great. And then uh, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but your favorite part of the conferences. Uh, my favorite part of the conference is being with everybody else. Um, I love the workshops. I love the classes. I love the speakers. But I love that one-on-one -on -one time or the opportunities when we have to sit around with a glass of wine at the end of the day and really get into each other's heads or to ask questions and get advice from others that I know have experienced similar things. I, uh, even though I only see these people twice a year, and I'm so glad we're back to face-to-face -face meetings, I only see them twice a year. I know that at any time I can pick up the phone and call and say, Lamar, I got a question. Would you have five minutes to talk with me about this situation and let me get your advice? And I know you're going to respond. Um, that's the beauty that has come from these conferences is the, is the, again, the relationships that have been developed and, and the learning that we share with one another. Completely agree. It's the network. And, yes. and, and it might be related to that, but do you have any advice for someone who is new to the conferences? <laughs> My advice would be to attend every class you can, every workshop you can, and make sure you introduce yourself to the people beside you, in front of, and back of you. Ask what they do. Interview your partners. Interview <laughs> your classmates. And that'll get you going because if you ask the questions of them, they're going to be interested in you because you're interested in them. Yeah. Well, great advice. Completely agree. And I've already taken too much of your time already, Sarah. But I really appreciate you coming on and I really look forward to course 369, the subtle art of educating the seller. I'll be there. Thank you, Lamar. Look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. So if you would like to learn more about working with sellers and M&A processes or learn more about any of the other M&A related topics provided by M&A Source, please visit our website, masource.org, and please feel free to reach out to the staff listed there. And I would also highly recommend any M&A professional to join M&A Source and also to attend our semi-annual conferences, ones like the one that we're referencing today that Sarah will be teaching at. Thank you for supporting the show. And to find more episodes like this one, please visit masource.org. I'm your host, Lamar Stanley, and I look forward to chatting again with you soon. Thank you for joining us for the M&A Source podcast. If you would like to learn more about M&A Source or would like to join, please visit M&A Source's website, www.masource.org, where you can find a wealth of information to include information about M&A Source's biannual conferences. 
thanks again for joining. And if you enjoyed the show, we hope that you'll go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Join us next time for another edition of the M&A Source Podcast.